Welcome back to another episode of Spartan Hoops Podcast. I'm David Klein, your host, joined today by my co-host, Greg Wendell. He currently has a baseball bat, so I'm just going to pass it to him here. Welcome to the show. We're doing a couple of pods in one week. I've been wanting for a little while to uh, touch on Michigan and, and do a little bit of a comparison and contrast where the two programs currently stand. The rivalry crossover talk is always some of my favorite stuff. I think that Greg is the perfect person uh, to help us with that because for those who have just joined, um, we, we talked about it the very first episode, but over 500 views this last podcast that we did, super excited. So there's a few new faces and listeners, I should say ears than faces, that are joining us uh, for this journey. So just a brief overview of Greg's allegiances, Michigan State graduate, Michigan basketball fan. There is not enough time on this podcast or maybe in a lifetime to be able to work through the psychotherapy to be able to discover exactly the root of that. But here we are, the perfect person to maybe discuss the Michigan basketball. So we're going to touch on that with some context that we're mixing in Michigan State. This is a Spartan Hoops podcast. So I can't just go full, you know, amazing, amazing blue here, amazing whatever. I, I don't even know what to say about it. So let's just pass it to Greg here. Why do you have the baseball bat? So when you told me you wanted to do a Michigan focused episode, obviously I got excited about this fact, but I understand after going through this my entire life, going to Michigan state, being a Michigan fan, and also being an Izzo member and rooting for Michigan state for the years I was in college. And I still watch Michigan state games. I make no sense. I get that. But what I do know is that people really care about this rivalry. And I understand that as a member of SpartanHoops.com and someone who's going to appear on the Spartan Hoops podcast, I need to come with protection just in case this goes south if we're going to talk about Michigan. So <laughs> I've got my bat right here. Also, this is a little shout-out to Jalen Rose, who Jalen and Jacoby, he often holds a baseball bat. We're going to talk Michigan. Jalen, great person to aspire to be in sports media, DK. So I'll put it down, but uh, just know it's here in case I need it. And uh, let's get into some question answer stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the best way to start with this is maybe to just kind of do a little bit of an overview of last season. I want to touch on a couple points and then maybe just kind of getting a general idea. I think there is a certain amount of momentum that has been carried through the program. Obviously, year one, you know, he comes in a little bit late. Beeline ends up making that decision late in I would say most fans were probably somewhere, you know, maybe at a five on the higher scale. I think that some people were excited about it, but for the most part, it was more of kind of a wait and see approach, particularly as, you know, some of the names that could potentially have been thrown around, some of the bigger names, um, that wasn't the hire. And I think that at this point in time, we have seen a complete progression of the fan base just 100% buying in. I think that's a good good way to put it. And I think that there should be some excitement around the program. I also think that basketball is extremely cyclical. And for me, while I think that the program is headed in an extremely right direction, I also think the jury's still out here. I would have said this if this last year would have went poorly, just like I said after the first year, people who were stomping on the grave and making fun of them for finish ninth. I thought that was just so short-sighted. We have to see at least, to my opinion, four years, maybe five, before you really get a flavor of where exactly this is going and the sustainability. 
I think the direction of where this program is headed is in a good spot. And it gives me no pleasure to say that. But I also think that after this year, there is going to be a, a vast changeover in kind of how the program is going to be viewed. And also, in my opinion, there's going to be a little bit of a reset, um, depending on how the transfer portal is attacked and to what the roster construction is. So I, that's kind of a big opening statement packed in there. But what, from a Michigan fan perspective in your mind, what should be realistic expectations during this tenure for Juwan Howard? How many years would you expect him to be part of this program? And generally, what should the feel be, in your opinion, for Michigan fans coming into this? I think Michigan fans should be extremely optimistic, honestly. And I, I want to come back after I answer the question you just asked to talking about the, the cycles, the cyclical nature that you talked about, and the, the concept of a reset coming after this season. Um, but I think in general, you summarized it well. Michigan fans at first were, I think, pleased with the hire. I don't think anybody expected him to have the program where it's at this quickly, pulling in the number one recruiting class in the country, winning a Big Ten championship, being a shot away from a Final Four. Um, I think that as far as goals go or reasonable expectations, I don't think it's fair to ever say like, this program has to win a national title in his tenure or he's a failure. But I think that's where the bar is, or it's close there. Like he's, I think he's going to bring talent in that will expect to compete for final fours year in and year out while he's here. Now, the big part of that sentence is while he's here, because Jawan Howard is not going to be at Michigan for 20 years. He's just not. He is going to end up back in the NBA. I firmly believe that. I think everybody that is smart, that's a Michigan fan or not, believes that. The question is when he's going to be involved in rumors every single offseason, as he's been this offseason. Um, but I think what's realistic there is that he will get through his younger son coming to Michigan, however long he's there, whether it's one year or four years. I think he sees him through. And then there's probably a serious consideration to look, depending on what success he's had. You know, if maybe he gets through his son's career at Michigan, we're talking about Jet, by the way, Jet Howard, yes. who's a high four-star prospect who I believe is an incoming senior. Class of um, 22, yep. So roughly we would be speaking if he stayed four years, which I think the expectation, you know, from what I've seen of his game, I think maybe, you know, closer to a three-year player if he puts it all together. I don't know if he's quite like a one to two year guy in my opinion, but I mean, that could change. I've watched him a handful of times, so I can't speak to that. And, you know, if he springs a big senior year into that, maybe pushes himself into five-star contention, perhaps it's a shorter time in college than not. Right. I think you're spot on. Three sounds right. Could he go two? Maybe he's not a one and done. And I would doubt he's a four-year player, but I think the thing with that is like, Jawan probably truly doesn't know. Like, I guarantee he doesn't have a plan in his head of when he's going to leave Michigan. But if an offer to coach the Los Angeles Lakers or the Miami Heat, his organization that he has known and loved for his whole career, I mean, I think that would be hard for him to turn down. Uh, I think we've seen even with like John Beeline, things can change very quickly. Timelines change as things happen. I think even name image likeness is going to have an effect on Jawan Howard's career at Michigan. I think he's 
one of the best coaches in the country with his experience in the Fab Five and being a Michigan alum that could really utilize that to his benefit in recruiting. Um, but I think like, you know, if Michigan were to win a national title before Jack graduates Michigan or leaves Michigan, I would think Jawan Howard probably feels pretty good about what he's done and is ready to jump back to the NBA. If not, maybe they come close. Maybe he's got a taste for it. Maybe he really is that competitive and believes he can get it done. It's just so many what ifs. But I think like, I think the over under that I would set for his tenure is 0.5 national titles. And if he checks that box, then I think he goes back to the NBA sooner rather than later. I think that's fair. And I do think that the uh, accumulation of talent is something that is going to be able to get him a couple bites at the apple while he's here. I think there's no doubt about that, the way that he's been recruiting. Uh, even though this class of 22 is a little bit odd so far, I know you get Doug McDaniel, you know, a nice like mid four-star guy. Jet, as you said, is a high four-star guy that you're adding to him. The center spot's a little bit up in the air right now. Obviously, there's some chatter, you know, from the Michigan State sign that Terrace Reed is is having some interest between him and OSU. Um, they just offered another guy that's a rapid riser up the boards. I think it's Ernest Uday. He's a, like a just got into the five-star type category, a big man, 6'10", kind of athletic. I think that position really is going to be a huge determining factor on kind of how this team is shaping heading into next season. I think it's very clear, and we'll touch on it briefly, with Dickinson back. This is it for Dickinson. He's going one more year. I don't think it matters what happens this season. He's gone next year. I think he made that abundantly clear with his return uh, just uh, tweet that he put out basically one last one I think something like that one last run so it's very possible Diabate ends up only being a one and done type guy too and so basically the whole center spot is going to be vacated after this next season so it remains to be seen and I think that what we're seeing right now for Michigan is that they're hitting the up part of the cycle and I understand he's only been here three years I think last year, you know, we talked about it a little bit. He had the benefit of having some pretty solid recruits from Beeline still in the program. Having two NBA wings and Franz Wagner and Isaiah Livers is kind of a round out into your own really first class, I think was a nice bridge point to get him to the spot. You know, the ability for an additional year to bring in Brooks to kind of continue to stabilize the backcourt rotation. He has had some advantageous situations to be able to put him in a very good spot. Um, I think if you look back at it, you know, there's always between the rivalry banter in Michigan State and Michigan, there's always, oh, you guys hang banners. You guys do things for Final Fours. You're always beating your chest about that. But he's never been able to get over the hump and, and make multiple national championships games. And I think, yeah, last season was a pretty good encompass of maybe that getting flipped around a little bit back on Michigan fans. Because for how much you like, you know, to kind of poke us a little bit and say, yeah, Final Fours, but you can't get to the national championship game. Well, how nice would it be to be hanging a Final Four banner in year two for Juwan? Um, you know, I thought that that game kind of was – a little bit of an indictment on just generally some decision-making. I think there was a couple games during the course of the year where I wasn't overly impressed. Do I think he's an absolutely great locker room guy? Yes. Do I think I, he knows how to run an offense and a defense? Yes, I do. Do I think that he's a, a very, very good recruiter? Absolutely. But this was kind of the first season where he had some big time to step up 
and hit some home runs or a triple when there's some guys on the base. And I thought he fell a little short in some instances. I think that OSU game, the decision with enough time on the clock to feed uh, Hunter Dickinson and you you settled for uh, you know a Mike Smith dribble out of the clock and a pull-up mid-ranger, I, I thought that was okay or whatever. I don't think it was a great decision. I think you could have got a better look there. I think the UCLA game, the decision uh, to not put Franz Wagner on Johnny Juzang when he's absolutely cooking, you have an all – you know, NBA type guy who's, you know, possibly going to be one of the better defenders in this draft, a really versatile guy. I think he could have shut him down. I didn't really understand the decision-making there. I think we saw a little bit of in the LSU game too, when Cam Thomas was getting going, it took him a long time to move that trigger. And then you look at the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry game itself. You know, they play him twice. This is the worst team in Michigan State's history in the last 20 years, and you split with them. And I don't really want to hear, you know, the excuse that Eli Brooks got injured at the beginning of that game. Michigan State lost Josh Langford by all accounts in their prime and their peak condition. Josh Langford was a much better player than Eli Brooks. That's just a fact. If you look back at the stats, we lost Nick Ward uh, for at least two of the three games. And in 2018-19, Michigan State went out and beat Michigan three times. Okay, so to say like, oh, we lost Eli Brooks and and so we didn't take that game like there's a couple spots last season where in very, very important games in the Big Ten tournament and the rivalry game and then in the final game against UCLA, I thought the decision making at least was a little bit questionable in spots. And so to to say that just without a doubt that Juwan is, you know, the, the undeniable, you know, king or prince that should be anointed coming through the Big Ten, I'm not ready to give him that yet. And so I'm curious to see how this season goes because it's going to be very interesting. But what do you think just generally about how the season went for the most part? Obviously, year two is a great success, but also fell a little short in some spots. So a couple, couple things I jotted notes down as you went through that. And I have one hand on the bat, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> I'm prepared here. Um, I think, first of all, any Michigan fans who – quote unquote, make fun of Michigan State for hanging Final Four banners. That, that's so stupid. Final Four should be celebrated. I don't know what circles, like I'm sure you have toxicity on your Twitter from a ton of Michigan fans. I get that. But like, please, if a Michigan fan's listening to this, I hope you're not making fun of Michigan State for hanging Final Four banners. Final Fours are awesome. Like it's hard to win a national title. What is those done with the Final Four should be celebrated. So should Michigan if they ever get there again under Juwan Howard, which I think they will. Um, and I think your, your point about injury excuses. Yeah, I hear you. I, I think you're right. I think the larger thing there is that Tom Izzo historically has done an unprecedented, unbelievable job at winning rivalry games, even when his team is less talented or even when something has happened, like that's sort of the mantra of Michigan state, right? Even the football program under Mark D'Antonio, it was like, they did more with less and they won the big games when it mattered. And that's part of what's special about the Michigan state program, especially on, in the Tom Izzo era. Um, I, I will say, I think it's an inexcusable loss that Michigan had. I think anytime you lose to rocket Watts going off basically on off the dribble shots that he didn't make in any other games that season. I mean, that's a painful loss. However, I think most of the other concerns that you spoke to, I think we're more personnel related specific to last year's team than they were decision making related 
that would cause concern for me with Juwan Howard. I think it, the the Ohio State game in the Big Ten tournament, for example, you have to have a dynamic shot maker in the backcourt. You just do. And I argued all year I thought Mike Smith could be that guy. I think he had a shot, a big shot in the UCLA game, a big shot in the Ohio State game. There's one other game in the postseason run where he took a really big shot and he missed. Um, I would argue those shots he took pull up jumpers basically were decent looks for a guy who shot really well from three on the season. Ultimately, you have to have a guard that can make shots to win in March. You just do. Look at Baylor. They had three of them. Michigan had half of one in Mike Smith last season. Eli Brooks is never going to be that. Franz Wagner clearly was never going to be that, at least not in his two years at Michigan. Um, it's hard to win if you don't have that type of dynamic player there. I think that will change going forward. I don't know if that will change this upcoming season when you look at Michigan's roster. I think you have a lot of the same similar concerns that you maybe ran into last year. But then again, it's hard to be too black and white with that because what? They were one possession away from a Final Four. I don't know what happens when they play Gonzaga in the Final Four at that point. I'd assume they lose. But like, let's not really kill them too much for being that close when ultimately like, they just never hit the big shot that they needed, and I would argue it's because they didn't have that guy in the backcourt. Now, the last thing, your point about um, not switching Franz onto Juzang, I was screaming at my television on that. I don't know what that was about. I think there's an inherent belief, it seems, from Juwan and the staff that Eli Brooks is an elite defender in the backcourt. They gave him the number one scoring option assignment every single game last season. I expect they will do that again this season, although Devontae Jones has a six foot six wingspan and is built like a fire truck. So maybe that'll change. Um, but you saw Eli struggled with large guards in really any time he was put against a future NBA guard with more size than him. He struggled. Dwayne Washington ate him for lunch every time they played in their careers. So it wasn't a surprise that Juzang cooked Eli. Juzang cooked everybody that he played in that NCAA tournament run. I think Franz would have made it tougher, but I, the staff believed in Eli, and that's probably the one big decision that, as a fan, I disagreed with. But, again, that's not something I think cost them that game. I just think they didn't have the backcourt creators they needed when it mattered most. Okay, and that's fair, and I think that that's a good segue to get into the roster construction for them. And, again, for the Michigan State fans, which you know is the majority of our listeners, we are going to be comparing and contrasting some of the freshmen coming in so even though this is going to be some Michigan focus, there's going to be some back and forth between it. So stick with it. Um, so let's start with the big man in the middle. I think you got to do it. Dickinson comes back. I think, you know, between the two of us, we were almost a little bit surprised about how close of a decision it was. I think that had he gotten the invite from the G League to the regular combine and he had just a single team tell them that they're interested in him at any point in that second round, he would have been gone. It seems very clear to me that his intent when he originally entered was to remain in the draft. And I think that he has said as much. Um, I thought that would have been an interesting decision for him. I think that there's still some stuff to work on with his game. But then again, I think to a certain degree that, you know, he's 21 years old. He's not a typical freshman where he was coming in and he was 18. You know, he's, he's an older guy. He's physically already at that point where he can probably hang in the NBA. And so for his thought is if I can get into it and make a team, start making some money. And I get that. That makes a hundred percent sense. 
Um, I'm very curious just to see how this season goes for him. I think to a certain degree, he kind of ran into a situation a little bit last season where um, he had a little bit of regression and perhaps maybe the start of the season was a little bit of just the teams that they played, obviously he played all Mac in the non-conference. So there really wasn't a non-conference schedule that was particularly sexy. The opening bid for the big 10 for them was extremely soft. And so I'm going to give you just some numbers from this. So the first 10 games of a season, 18 points per game, he shot 75% from two, two field goals. Absolutely insane. I mean, that is ridiculously high 8.1 rebounds per game. And his turnovers were 1.8. Then you kind of hit the middle of the Big Ten schedule. Uh, the next 10 games, 10.8 points per game. So a pretty significant drop. He dropped almost you know six, seven points there. 46.1% uh, from two. So a really significant drop there. He dropped almost 30% uh, from, from inside the arc. 7.2 rebounds per game and 1.9 turnovers. And then the last eight games of the season, 13.3. 59.2% from uh, two field goals and then uh, 3.4 turnovers. So I think the the one thing that kind of stood out to me when I'm just looking at the general stats is I think there was obviously a little period of stagnation where teams started getting a little bit better scouting report on him. Um, he's a guy that just kind of showed an unwillingness to go to the opposite hand and you know 25 assists to 64 turnovers. That's not that's not good at all. I don't think that he read the double team particularly well. I think that that for me is maybe the biggest uh, hinge to him kind of turning around what this season is going to be. He needs to be a better passer out of the double team. He can't turn the ball over as much as he is, particularly if he's going to be the main primary focus of this offense. And when I looked at just some of the games that he had against the better bigs in the conference. He had a game one against Liam Robbins, who, say what you want, when he was healthy at the beginning of the season, he was actually pretty dominant. He's a very, very large human being. Um, he had 28 points that first game. The second game when they went to Minnesota, he only had nine points, five rebounds, five turnovers. When he saw Trevion Williams, he went three for seven from the field with eight points, three rebounds, and six turnovers. When he saw Miles Johnson against Rutgers, 10 points, went four for 10 from the field, eight rebounds. When they played Kofi Coburn, six points, one from eight from the field, five rebounds. So if you looked at him against the guys that physically were capable of matching up against him last year, he really didn't have a particularly great run against it. So I'm generally curious of where you see your expectations for him this season. And I'm going to maybe have a little bit of a retort to that, but I'm generally curious about like, what's the reasonable ceiling? Because to me, maybe it's more of what we saw down that last stretch where he's shooting close to 60% from inside the arc. Uh, he's averaging maybe somewhere between 14 to 16 points per game. I think that's probably kind of where I would put it. And then you're hoping that he's grabbing seven or eight boards a game and those turnovers kind of dip down a little bit. So he's only turning it one or two a game. Yeah, I, I'm extremely high on Hunter Dickinson, and I think Hunter Dickinson is extremely high on Hunter Dickinson, especially <laughs> if you're watching him this offseason, and that's part of why I think that decision was closer, because I think Hunter views himself as a pro, and I think he will get there. There's things he needs to develop in, obviously. He needs to get a better right hand. A jump shot would help. I think he seems to have slimmed down a ton, which is not necessarily what I would have thought would be best for him. Um, but he, he's lost a ton of baby fat. He is pretty shredded and looks extremely skinny. So I think they want him more mobile. 
Um, the turnover numbers. Why, I ask you right off the bat, why do you want your seven foot, 230 pound center to be slimmer and more mobile? I thought that the movement, if anything, I was, I was pleasantly surprised how well he moved for a guy of his size. I understand maybe at the next level, you want him a little bit more nimble, but why are we slimming him down and not just kind of like making him stronger? Yeah, I mean, it'll remain to be seen. I, I, like I said, I don't think I would have tried to get him closer to 200 pounds as a seven footer, but like if he's going to be more mobile because of it, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think he's going to get physically overwhelmed. And I, I know you ran the numbers against some of the more physical centers in the league, but like I just, I don't think there was really ever a moment where he was getting outplayed in any of those games other than the Illinois game where the entire team didn't show up. Um, but I think like it left out in that number was that he did the best job defensively that anyone did on the national player of the year, Luca Garza in their win against Iowa. So he like, I think he's a big game guy. He talks junk. He talked at Maryland's coach. Like he's an entertaining player. Um, I think expectations should be with any freshman to sophomore jump. You expect to see a significant leap. I think they're going to play through him to a level that they didn't really ever last season. I mean, back to your point about the end of game stuff, like even though he led them in scoring and was their most efficient guy and ultimately their best player, I don't ever feel like there were too many games where it was like, we're just going to feed him and play through him entirely. He got a lot of residual points just in the flow of the offense. I think this year you're going to see an intentional design where he's getting a touch damn near every possession that he's on the floor. I think honestly, he's capable of so much more as a passer than those numbers show. And I think if you watch the film or if you pay more attention to Michigan as a team, those turnovers were a result of him trying to do a little too much and not make the simple pass. Um, like I, he would often try to make a skip pass and thread a needle and it would end up getting picked. And it's a good read, but it's a tough pass. And I think with a little coaching there, he probably starts to make the more simple play. There's hopefully going to be good shooters around him with Caleb Houston, with Eli Brooks back. Um, but I think like with the ball in his hands more, he's going to have to clean up the turnovers. Like you said, I think he will. I think you'll see his assist numbers rise a little bit, but I think like ultimately if he can just stay on the floor, his floor as a player is to me, the best center in the big Ten this season. Like he's going to average at least what he did last year. If he plays a little more, like five more minutes a game, closer to 30 this year, which I think is probably the goal, then I think it's not out of the question for him to get, you know, upwards of 16, 17 points, eight or nine rebounds. Uh, the big change for him, though, is he has to be able to go right. And if you break down the numbers of him scoring with his left hand, turning over his right shoulder, he was basically one of the top two most efficient post-up guys in the country. The other one was Luca Garza. Going to his right hand, over the left shoulder, he was one of the worst. Like, it's a, a sizable drop. It's like 0.8 points scored per play versus over 1.1 points scored per play. And he was so well scouted by the end of the season, too, other than LSU, who apparently just doesn't scout anybody. They let him go left that entire game. But, like, down the stretch of Big Ten season and NCAA tournament, teams knew that you just can't give him that hand. And I think that's part of why he struggled in those games against the better, more physical defensive centers. I do expect him to counter that. Like, I don't think um, 
that's going to be something that's not addressed. I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, as strong with his right as he is with his left, but I'd expect you see some teaching and Hey, if there is a head coach in the country who can probably help you with some post moves, I would think Jawan Howard would be a good one. So yeah, I'm high on Hunter Dickinson. I think all Michigan fans are rightfully so. Um, and I, I think all American season is sort of the goal for him next year. Okay, uh, there's a bit to unpack here. The first thing that you said that I'm going to disagree with you is that there's going to be better shooting around him. And I don't think that that is going to be the case, to be honest with you. Last year, you're capable of playing Franz Wagner as well as Isaiah Livers next to that. Um, Is it your anticipation that you believe Houston is going to be a better three-point shooter than Isaiah Livers year one? I mean, no. And I, if I said better, that's a miss. No, you didn't say better. I mean, a question. This was a question, not trying to trap you. Here. Got it. No, I, I mean, I think the, the hope is that the shooting ends up close to last season. Okay. So, you know, I think that what you'll see is going to be interesting because last year you had Livers at the four, you have Franz there, you have Brooks. Mike Smith, in my opinion, is a better shooter than what you're going to get from Devontae Jones. I just don't think that's his game. I know that he had a good three-point shooting year last year. I don't trust the form. I don't personally believe he's going to be much more. And we'll have to look at the career averages. I can't remember off the top of my head, but if I remember correctly, I think he shot like around 37% last year, but for the most part in his career, he's closer to like a 33% guy. Do you have that up? Yeah, he was 37% last year. He, he was 33 as a freshman, 30% as a sophomore, 37 as a junior on five attempts per game. The the one caveat here is he's an 85% shooter from the free throw line on five attempts for his entire career. So, like, the kid can shoot. The question is, can he shoot threes? Yeah, and I'm, I guess I'm not buying the way that it looks. I think that he's much more of a guy that's going to get into the paint Um, We saw kind of in that G League uh, combine stuff where he really did a good job of getting firmly into the paint consistently, and he had kind of a you know unorthodox floater game. I think his game is really going to be in between. I think that he's going to be a better scorer at and around the rim than what we saw from Mike Smith. But I think to a certain degree, I'm a little bit questioning exactly how his role is going to fit with everybody else's because Mike Smith when he came in was a shot chucker, right, from Columbia, but he wanted to come and win, and he was asked to play a role where he's the main facilitator, and he's kind of the table setter for this guy. Devontae Jones was very close to staying into the draft, from my understanding. I think that he had some interest. He possibly could have gotten drafted. He was kind of one of those questionable guys in the back end of that, but it's one of those things where, okay, he's a six-foot point guard, extremely good defensively, but do you need a guy to be able to you know, put up points from that? position for the backup guy or do you need somebody to be able to set up the table I think that that's the biggest question of perhaps with his game I don't think that he's going to be nearly as good as a uh, primarily pick and roll ball you know ball heavy screen offense guy than what we saw from Mike Smith like Mike Smith was really really underrated in the ability to make a decision and to throw a pass in the pick and roll and if you're going to operate with Dickinson this year yes to a certain degree Um, you're going to get some open opportunities where he's setting a nice screen and you're both going downhill. But Mike Smith's ability to shoot it made him extremely dangerous with the rotation. I'm not sure if I'm buying Devontae Jones to being as prolific as a shooter. I mean, I I can't remember what Mike Smith ended the year at. Was he at 40 or close? 41. 
Yeah. So like, I mean, he had career high numbers, I think, in terms of three point percentage coming through there. And that's because he played the role that he was meant to do. He came in, he facilitated and he's getting open looks. Is Devontae Jones going to be in a situation where he's looking to increase his draft stock and being, you know, maybe the secondary option behind Dickinson? And is that the best thing for Michigan's offense? Like in your opinion, and at least in mine, um, I would assume that you would much prefer Caleb Houston to be getting those secondary looks. And really for me, I think Jones needs to be the you know tertiary, the third guy on the floor in the starting rotation in terms of shot attempts. How do you feel about that? And what do you see with his role, do you think? I think there's so many unknowns with Jones. You're right. He's not as good out of ball screens as Mike Smith. They're they're totally different types of players. So it's tough to even make a comparison. But I also don't think like the staff is going to try to use him the same way they used Mike Smith. I don't think that's the only way to build a winning team. Um, it certainly helps. Like I said, you have to have dynamic guards that can score. Uh, I think People question with Devontae Jones, he has some very herky-jerky type moves. He kind of just bully balls his way to the rim. He has an array of floaters and scoop shots that look really ugly but have gone in for him at the lower level. They went in for him at the combine week that they played live ball. I mean, he was playing with a bunch of guys that are declaring for the draft and other guys that are the best kids coming back to school. And by all accounts, he was one of the best players there. I didn't expect that. I really didn't. I'm not a guy who's leading the Devontae Jones bandwagon as a Michigan fan. I do think it's his job as the starting point guard this year to lose. Um, and I think, I think regardless of how it looks and how it fits with the others, he's got game. The question is, can Jawan Howard unlock that to utilize it to boost the team's performance as best it can? And to your point, does that end up leaving him as the second option, the third option, who really knows? From what I've seen with Caleb Houston, he's going to be a go-to scorer very quickly. Even if he's a go-to scorer just off of catch-and-shoot shots, he's going to get a lot of shots. He's one of the smartest prospects I can remember seeing film from. I watched as much of his 19-under games with Team Canada that I could. He was their leading scorer. He was their do-it-all guy, sort of playing a much bigger on-ball role than I think he's going to have to at Michigan. And other than his shooting from behind the arc, which is not a question at all, he really surprised in a positive way of what he could do off the bounce and facilitating. Um, so I think in a weird way, if if Caleb Houston's capable of shouldering some of that, I think he'll get the reps and maybe you don't need your point guard to be as heavy of an on-ball guy like you did with Mike Smith last year. But I do think from the sample size we've seen, Mike Smith and Sean D. Brown were both guys that shot in the very low 30s from three in their careers. And there's reasons for that. They played on bad teams and they took tough shots. Devontae Jones, kind of similar. I don't think he took as many tough off the dribble threes. But if he's a guy that can shoot 85% from the line, the same way that Mike Smith and Sean D. Brown got a lot more open catch and shoot looks, I think that's going to happen. I don't think it's out of the question that Jones shooting takes a jump. I wouldn't expect him to hit 41% like Mike Smith did, but I think there's also a floor there. Like he's not going to be a 30% a shooter from three. I think like it's closer to between 35 and 40. And if he's closer to 40, then you probably got yourself a really, really good team. 
who's creating the open looks for the catch and shoot? That's my that's my question. We I mean, I think they're going to play through the post a ton more, and I think theoretically, let's say well, you're going to finish with 24 assists last season is going to take such a large jump that looks are starting to be given left and right from the post. Well, if you watch Michigan last season, he didn't get an assist every time he kicked back out. They made a ball reversal, and Isaiah Livers hit an open three. I mean, just walk me through this. Hunter Dickinson's on the block. Musa Diabate, an All-American, McDonald's All-American, seven-footer with a crazy wingspan, is floating on the opposite baseline. Is that who you think starting? You you believe Diabate is going to start over Brandon Johns to, to begin the season? By March. I think Brandon Johns will start because Jawan started Austin Davis over Hunter Dickinson for five games last year. That's That seems to be the mantra. Um, I think there's two guys that you should keep your eye on. I think Kobe Bufkin could be a starter by the end of the season. I think Musa Diabate will be a starter by the end of the season. But I think regardless, their best five is going to have a knockdown shooter in Houston, a really reliable shooter in Eli Brooks, who's played four years and is one of the best just cerebral off-ball guys there is. Hunter Dickinson with the ball on the block. If you're guarding him one-on-one, who are you going to help off of? has to be Devontae Jones. Otherwise, you're sending a double and leaving a lob baseline. And if you help off Devontae Jones, one, if you let him get downhill, that's dangerous. Two, if you help off Devontae Jones, he's probably got a wide open catch and shoot shot. So I think like the formula there makes a lot of sense to me. I think like if you're going to play through Hunter Dickinson, you got two great shooters, a rim runner and a point guard who's really good at attacking downhill. I like that formula. Um, It remains to be seen. You're right. Can Hunter Dickinson shoulder that load, make the right decision and do that 20 times a game instead of five times a game? Who knows? I think he's capable. Maybe he's not. We'll see. I know you said just that outside of the three-point shooting that you thought Houston really took a big stride. I think that from what I saw, I didn't watch all the games, but I watched some of the highlights. I was kind of following around. Obviously, the on-ball creation is probably the most intriguing thing that he flashed to a certain degree. I think to, you know, the U19 stuff is is similar to me as, you know, maybe very high-level AAU stuff. And I I think that it all needs to be taken to with a slight grain of salt. How many of those guys are going to end up playing in the NBA? How many of those guys do you think would actually be, you know, on top 25 teams in college basketball? I know some of them are, clearly. Um, but I think some of them probably are not quite up to that level too. These kids are kind of thrown together and they play for a week, but there's not as much perhaps structure. Obviously some of the other teams, you see a little bit more of it than you would with maybe team Canada and team USA. I'm not going to go crazy one way or the other. I I guess, you know, from a perspective, it was Max Christie putting up the numbers. I would definitely be retweeting all the videos. I'd be pounding my chest about it, but on the flip side of it too, I think that you just kind of have to take a little bit of the grain of salt. I understand that he is a knockdown shooter. He shot horrible this entire seven-game stretch that he played. Um, I pulled the numbers on it because I was curious. 10 for 58 from beyond the arc, good for 17.2%. I understand it, you know, he's a catch-and-shoot guy. I watched a, a bunch from his high school days. You know, He looks pretty automatic. Do you think that he shoots above 40%? And are you just panning this as the line was a little bit longer and that was the issue? Um, I took a look, and the NCAA line is 20 feet, 9 inches. The FIBA line is 22 feet, 2 inches. So it's about a foot and a half difference between it. So there's a little bit extra, and I understand that he carried a little bit larger load in terms of what he was providing, but that's a pretty big sample size. He took almost as many threes as he did twos, and he shot pretty terrible this whole stretch. Is there not even just a little bit of concern that maybe he's a guy that's closer to, like, 
36, 37, then you a guy that you can be like, okay, this is going to be like Isaiah Livers type where he's going to shoot above 40%. I feel pretty comfortable that when he gets an open look, when he gets a, the ability to shoot it, he's going to be able to hit that. So I would have set the over-under for his three-point percentage on the college season before this FIBA run at 38.5. I would still set it at 38.5. I watched as much as I could, and from what I saw, his shot selection stunk. Like He, yeah. he took shots he's not going to take at Michigan or he will be on the bench. Transition, pull-up, hand-in-the-face, off-the-dribble threes. He's not even going to have an opportunity to take those shots at Michigan. What he will have an opportunity to take is going to be run the floor, sprint to the corner, catch a swing pass. It comes to you wide open and hit it. Um, like you said, there's a humongous sample size that's much larger than the five games he played this week. Through seven. Than the seven games he played this week that comes from the highest level you can play of high school basketball. And by all accounts, he's one of the best shooters that there's been in years there. Um, so, no, I'm not worried about it at all. I think, you know, like you said, take everything with a grain of salt, both good and bad. Um, the same people on the Michigan side who are totally writing off the shooting concerns are also people that consistently reiterated that Franz is a phenomenal shooter. And like, to me, Franz never came close to what he was supposed to be as a ceiling shooter. He shot like 32% or 33% from three on his career in Michigan. Um, so I, I think Houston is a different type shooter than Franz. I think he is in the livers mold. People make the livers comparison because he's going to step right in and play 30 minutes at the three slash four like livers did for two years. And I think they're very different players after watching him this week. I think it's sort of a lazy comparison to make just because he's the heir apparent to that guy. In reality, they're similar as shooters. Houston has a lot more in his bag as an on-ball guy than Livers ever did right now. That's that's not saying he's going to be the number one option on Michigan, but like he can make reads out of ball screens. He can make passes that I've never seen Isaiah Livers make, and he can create his own shot off the dribble in a way that just looks so much more natural than Isaiah Livers ever did. I think if he does end up playing a really high on-ball role for Michigan this year, then his shooting numbers probably are lower than they would be if he's just a purely off-ball guy. But his ability as a shooter is not something I'll question for one second. I think this is a very interesting point in time in just kind of how Howard is going to be able to play this rotation. Because we saw last season that there was a very clear like seven or eight guys to be played and there was nothing much left to be played. That's not the case this season. There's real decisions to be made for the first time, in my opinion, in his career on who is going to be playing what time and kind of how guys are going to be filling various roles. We spent a ton of time and you had extreme concern over the wing depth at Michigan State. And I didn't necessarily disagree with you. Um, you know, to a certain degree, you're really relying on Brooks and Christie. And then Aikens is obviously can slide and play some of that too with Brooks as the backup. What about Michigan's wing depth? Because you have Houston at the three. To me, he's the only natural three on the roster. And in my opinion, if it could naturally work out, I think that he'd be better as a four. And the, the issue that I think Michigan is going to run into is they have a depth of talent at the power forward position and not enough minutes to play it. So if Dickinson's going to run a little closer to 30 minutes per game, which if he can remain efficient, that's fine. I think I probably would see it maybe closer to 28. I think he's going to be a couple shy of 30 probably. It's just – when you're carrying that big of a load and being asked to do everything, rebound, defend, do it. 
I mean, it's really tough for a big man of his size to be able to play, you know, much more than 27, 28 minutes a night. That's just my opinion. Look at the power forward spot. At some point in time, you believe that he's going to be playing next to Diabate, which we'll get into in a little bit. Brandon Johns is there. Terrence Williams is there. And I think Houston probably most comfortably and naturally would fill that great role as a spot guy at that power forward spot. So you're going to play probably primarily at the three. Who is the backup uh, wing player that they have on the roster? And I know you're going to say, well, it's Kobe Bufkin. And Kobe Bufkin's, you know, 6'5", about 180 pounds. And I understand that he's electric and dynamic with the ball in his hands. I'm not sure 100% I feel really comfortable with him primarily. I see him more as a two-guard, really, than I do as a three. So I'm curious to see kind of what you think about that because we're speaking about Michigan State's wing depth. At least they can kind of slide a couple guys up and down. Who else besides Houston really is going to be comfortable playing that three spot? So there's two guys that aren't named Kobe Bufkin that I think will play minutes at the three this year. One of them is Isaiah Barnes, who I think by March, he's probably not in the rotation. But he's going to get looks in the non-conference, and he's a natural three. I think I'm spitballing guess measurements here, but I believe he's 6'7", 190-ish. He's a true three. He's going to get a look. He's not someone that I'm super high on. I'm actually a lot lower on him as a prospect than most Michigan fans are. I think he's a pretty raw 3 and D guy that from everyone I've heard in the Chicago area really didn't ever play well in high school on losing teams. Um, he kind of skyrocketed through the recruiting rankings, ended up a top 100 recruit after being a three-star guy when he first signed with Michigan. So I, I think he's projecting more as like a three to four year guy, more like a for sure four year guy. Uh, But I think he'll get a look and he is the only other true natural three to me on the roster. The second guy I think will play some minutes there is Terrence Williams. I don't love it. I know you don't. And I don't think Michigan fans do, to be honest, but I've, I've long thought for him to play any sort of role on Michigan significantly more than like uh, in and out of one, every three games, like, wash up minutes guy he has to be able to play the three and the four uh part of that's because the the four is so loaded as you spoke to part of it is because he's like six foot seven and really muscular and bouncy but like that's it and he'd have to be a super small ball four to succeed in the big 10 and he doesn't really have a jumper yet so that's a question mark whether he plays the three or the four um but i think like you're gonna end up seeing some unusual lineups for Michigan this year, part by necessity, but part because they have really good players that either require them to play a super big lineup or a super small lineup. Kobe Bufkin is the name you said I would mention, and I have to mention it because I think Kobe Bufkin, who was a McDonald's All-American, by the way, but was rated in the 40s, 50s as the by the big-name recruiting services, um, Kobe Bufkin is the most natural shot maker on this roster shot creator i think is the better description yeah like a, a shot for himself he's the best naturally at that he like that's a huge part of his game in a way that it's never been part of eli brooks or Devonte jones's games um and i think from what i've heard the coaches are really impressed with Kobe Bufkin in practice early so far and take that with a grain of salt because you know reports come out that Jerron uh, Falds is going to be in the rotation for Michigan every now and then. But 
if Kobe Bufkin is too good to just get 15 minutes a game at the backup two spot, he's going to have to play some three or they're just going to have to play three guard lineups. And I'm a fan of that. I know some people aren't, but like we just watched a team in Baylor play three guard lineups the entire game for their entire season. And when you have guys that are that dynamic, it works. Um, I also think like you can get away with playing small in the backcourt for Michigan this year because you're going to go seven foot at center and uh, sometimes seven foot six eleven at the four when you've got Musa Diabate playing with Hunter Dickinson. The rim protection will never be an issue. So as long as they can stay with guys quickness wise on the perimeter, I don't think you're too worried about giving up size at the three. That's probably fair. I will say this, that, you know, when you decide to go to that big lineup, I'm a little bit concerned about the spacing. If you were to eventually evolve into having Diabate be that four with Dickinson at the five and Jones is still your one, that's three guys on the floor that you don't really want shooting. And I know that we didn't really talk about this, but I think Dickinson's going to probably hoist some threes this season. I think that's probably some of the feedback that he got. I think he's going to have some face-up jumpers. As we talked about the last podcast, uh, go ahead. Take as many of those as you want. If you want to shoot 70% at the rim and you're going to shoot 40% or less, you know, from the 10 to 12 foot range, take as many of those as you want. You know, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how, how he develops. But if you're having two guys that primarily are not going to be able to really step out and consistently space the floor, I think Diabate is a very, very interesting prospect in that he does a little bit of everything. I think the defensive ceiling is probably the most exciting part of his game, at least year one. Um, is he a guy that can maybe give Michigan two years? I think that that's a possibility. And I know everybody's like, you know, top 10 guys are one and done. It doesn't always work out that way. He, what one skill set in college offensively do you think that he's capable of providing from day one? And my answer to that would be none. I think that he has a little bit of a jump shot. I think he has the capability of putting it on the deck, maybe from the elbow and in. I think he's an okay rebounder, not a great rebounder, particularly offensively yet. I think he's still a little too weak. I think he needs to add a little bit of strength to his body to, to be more comfortable in that. So primarily, you're going to be asking him to be kind of like a diver cutter. And yes, there's there's some role for that for a guy with Devontae Jones who's capable of getting in the paint. But Dickinson has to show the willingness and capability to be able to pass out of the double team if it comes. And yes, then you could get something going, right? If Diabate's diving and Dickinson's finding him on cuts and you're just banging the rim all the time, those two make a lot of sense. But if he his spacing's getting crowded, he still has his turnover issues. Like that's, that's really to me where it's like I would love a 40% shooter right at the four spot so that the entire floor for Dickinson is completely open. And that's not really on the roster. I think Brandon Johns is maybe the closest that you can give it to you. Um, you know, from a Michigan State fan perspective, uh, to a certain degree, I think Brandon Johns chose the wrong school and it doesn't always work out that way. You know, maybe Bingham chose the wrong school for going to Michigan State. He's, he's entering into senior year and now he's running into a situation where he's going to get the you know, starting role potential opportunity for the first time in his career. Michigan State knows exactly how to use a tweener like Brandon Johns. And I think to a certain degree, Brandon Johns has really not been used properly. I think he, he would have been best maybe as a small ball center. That's not obviously in the cards after Dickinson came on the, on the roster and the way that he's been used. Is he a four? Is he a five? You know, all around, I think the way that we're kind of seeing what 
um, Jawan is going to do with these various positions is really kind of going to determine on who is going to continue to commit. Like we're seeing now here that Terrence Williams, right? You said like, well, he's going to probably have to play a little three and maybe he's going to play a little four. If he goes year two and he plays five to six minutes a night, same with Zeb Jackson, who we haven't really talked about yet either. Like, are those guys just going to transfer next year? Because we're at a day and age now where I think that the one-and-done transfer rule is going to probably be implemented across the board for years to come. And if you're trying to build a roster with guys that are four-year guys, at a certain point in time, they have to play. So we're entering into a situation here where is Terrence Williams going to really get run? I mean, the best version of this team next year, to me, does not involve Terrence Williams. The best version of this team next year, to me, doesn't really involve Zeb Jackson. And so if you look at where this roster is headed, Dickinson is going to be off it. Brandon Johns is going to be done. Eli Brooks is gone. And I would say it's probably pretty safe to say that one of two of Houston Diabate, if not both of them, are going to be gone off the roster. So you're going to have massive roster turnover, and you're going to have a bunch of guys who, you know, maybe a Frankie Collins and a Kobe Bufkin have played a little bit. But outside of those two guys kind of coming in, who is actually going to get run next year? You're going to basically have a brand new roster. So I think it's a very, very interesting season for him because he's going to have to work in a lot more guys than he had to last year. And if you want to build a base of four-year guys, you got to play him here and there to then be able to raise those four-year guys with some of the high-level talent that he's bringing in. What do you think about that? Well, I think Isaac Trout and Terrace Reed are going to play big minutes for Michigan next year. There you go. There's a troll job. I'm just kidding. I couldn't help myself. I, I, I think you're right. Like Terrence Williams is not ever going to be reason one, two, or three that this Michigan team or next year's Michigan team has success. He's just not. He's a role player guy who could be a starter if he stays until his senior year. And then he's a program guy, kind of like what Brandon John's career path has been. I think you're posing the question of like, are guys really going to stick around after they're not getting time is a fair question to ask. My rebuttal to that would be, this is the year of the transfer and Michigan had zero transfers the same year they brought in the number one class in the country and a grad transfer point guard and their four-year starter at shooting guard and their All-American center. Like, of all years, there could have been up and down the roster. Anyone on this roster could have left. A recruit could have left. Frankie Collins could have got pissed that Devontae Jones signed up. For some reason, nobody is. And that's noticeable because it's surprising It's one of the biggest things about Jawan Howard, the person that I think kind of calms all of the concerns down is people genuinely seem to love this guy a way that John Beeline never had that love or respect. He was a transactional, I'm going to get you to the pros and you're going to get me success and wins in college. Jawan does the family atmosphere in a way that I think Tom Izzo does. It's different, but the values are the same. Um, now that said, he's going to have to recruit. Like the answer to your question of the roster is going to look totally different next year. Yeah, you're right. He has to pull top classes. Otherwise, Juwan Howard doesn't necessarily work. That's his model. And it's so early, right? For 22, it's getting to where it's not so early, but like 
he's just going to have to pull guys. And right now there's none that have committed. You think Jet Howard is going to be there. Uh, I take it back. Doug McDaniel committed yeah. who we like uh, Michigan fans like Doug. Some wanted Seth Trimble. Um, but like, that's like at the end of the day, I'll be shocked if that class doesn't have four or five guys that are all top 100 ish that will be ready if called upon to play major minutes. And then you're just hoping, you know, Collins and Buffkin are back and one to two guys on the wing are back. Yeah. It's going to be very, very interesting to me to see how it works out because basically what you said is to be able to fill out the roster next year, he's going to have to over recruit the guys that aren't going to play this year again. So there's only so many years I think that you can do it to continue to say, just wait your turn guys. It's going to be okay. Zeb, don't worry about it. Terrence, wait your turn. We're going to over recruit you again. And then was like at a certain point in time, that model, that ability to be able to do that, I think that at least you're going to see one or two guys go. And it's not because, you know, if they're not capable of playing at the program at the level that they're at, then that's okay. Maybe maybe some of the attrition is, is needed on that. I just think it's going to be very, very fascinating to me to see because last year, like I said, seven to eight guys, the rotation was so clear. This year, it is not clear at all. So I want to maybe just dive into that briefly. Where do you see kind of the rotation getting shaken out? We talked about the starters. I think that we would agree that, you know, Eli Brooks is probably going to play pretty, pretty close to 30 minutes a night. Houston is in the same boat and Dickinson's there as well. Um, I think that power forward spot's going to be just cut up kind of like how Michigan State center spot is where you're going to probably have three different guys play that position, um, a combination of various minutes. Uh, and then you kind of look at what you're getting off the bench. To me, I'm a Frankie Collins guy myself. I think that maybe the upside in terms of what he can facilitate, what he brings kind of with that edge as a dog is just as good as maybe some of what Devontae Jones and what Devontae Jones gives you is perhaps a little bit of a cushion. So if Frankie wasn't ready year one, hundred percent to play 30 minutes a night, you've got a cushion. But I think that if you're looking to the latter part of the season, that you're hoping that there's a pretty even split. And if there is, it means that Frankie is is comfortable enough to play close to 20 minutes per game. I think that's probably a good thing for the roster. And then like, like you, the best version of this team at some point in time is having Kobe Bufkin on the floor. Whose expense is that coming to? It's a nice problem to have to a certain degree, but it's also a, is Eli Brooks going to take a seat? Is that why he came back for year five to sit behind a freshman coming in? Is Devontae Jones going to be the one that's taking a seat and either Brooks is playing a little bit of the one or, you know, you, you kind of work out that rotation. Maybe Buffkin has the ball in his hands a little bit more. I think it's going to be very fascinating to see exactly where this goes. Again, nice problems to have when you have the talent and the depth, but they're to me, just like the, the idea that Michigan's just going to come out the gates hundred percent and be ready to just bang on teams from the beginning of the season to the end. I think that there's going to be a little bit more of a transition period as this roster kind of comes together and finds all the pieces. It doesn't mean they can't be very dangerous when we're entering into February and March, but it also doesn't mean to me that it's immediately all the pieces are going to work together. Just because Mike Smith and Chani Brown were the perfect integrations to last year's team doesn't mean that you're going to strike gold immediately again. And I think to a certain degree, there's that feeling there for Michigan fans where like, we figured out last year, Mike Smith came in, he took control. No problem. It's going to happen again this year. And I just, I would just say a small hesitation. Let's just see how this kind of originally starts out. Let's see how all the pieces fit before we're, you know, anointing them a top five team. Can they be a top five, 10 team somewhere down the way? A hundred percent. Would I, 
would I feel comfortable putting them in the top five this early in the season? Absolutely not, in my opinion. A lot to unpack in that. I think in yeah. general, Michigan fans who are smart do not feel confident that Devontae Jones will instantly be as successful as Mike Smith and Shondi Brown were in their role. Um, I I think the, the smart ones that I've talked to are cautiously optimistic about Jones and cautiously optimistic about everything in general. I think Michigan's appropriately ranked right now. I've seen them average fifth. I think there was actually a, like – uh, somebody summarized all of the preseason polls and Michigan was fifth average. The highest I've seen them was third, but that was before a couple teams got some really big transfers or returnees in the last week. But most polls have them between fifth and 10th. And I think that's spot on. I honestly think as far as pure talent on a roster goes, I think this Michigan team is very clearly in the top five in the country. And maybe that is maize and blue colored glasses for me. I don't know, but they're going to have four guys night one who are going to end this season between the ages of 21 and 23 in their starting lineup, plus three McDonald's All-Americans, plus four other top 100 recruits, and that's their top nine guys. I mean, that I don't think there are many other teams in the country that can boast that other than Gonzaga, Duke probably, and that's really it right now. UK. UK, yeah, with what they did, even but like CJ, Jimmy and Collins, they got uh, two. even like Frederick and Collins weren't big recruit talent types though. But I, yeah, yeah, you're right, Kelly, um, Brady, Frederick. I mean, they 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 added a bunch to their roster too. I mean, I I guess I'm just saying, I think that there's a lot to be excited about. I guess if you're a Michigan fan, but I think that that the idea that it's just going to be a completely you know, natural assimilation to a brand new roster and brand new roles. And then it's just going to be like a very easy, like the, the, the non-conference schedule for Michigan is a thousand times more difficult than it was last season. You play Kentucky. Who else do you play? You play UNC, Kentucky. Like there's a bunch of teams that you're going to play that are going to be in the top 15 to start the season. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a tougher road. I think that this team, like you said, has an extreme amount of talent. But I'm very curious to kind of see how all the pieces together. I think year one was an overreaction for Michigan State fans. I think year two, great direction. I think you're going to be really happy if you're a Michigan fan. I just don't think that you can overreact 100% to exactly what happened. You know, if he backs it up and wins another Big Ten title, they make another run, they make a Final Four, whatever. That, that's fine. Like I said, they're on the up cycle right now for what they are. I think Michigan State saw something similar in 2018-19. They went 2018-19. Final Four, beat Michigan three times, Big Ten Championship, Big Ten Tourney Championship, heading into the next season, uh, a little bit of a rough go to the beginning, right? Everybody was kind of anointing them. They said, look look at all the pieces. Cassius Winston's back. Xavier Tillman's back. They got a nice class coming in. That was a bumpy road to begin the season, and by the end of it, they were playing like a top six to eight team. They were playing like a national contender. They won that last game to win the Big Ten uh, title. I think that they were on track to perhaps win the Big Ten tourney again. So I, all I'm saying from a Michigan State fan perspective, you definitely should be encouraged by it. But I also think that just the thought that this is going to be as easy a transition into this season, you're going to start 16-0 or 17-1, whatever they started last season. I just think that that's a little bit delusional. And perhaps I'm wrong. Maybe they're just come out of the gate strong and they blow people away. But I think that there's going to be a little bit more of an adjustment period for this team. And I'm fascinated to watch, like I said, 
him figure out this rotation because this is the first time in three years that he's really had to do it. Yeah, it's it's no doubt there will be an adjustment. I don't think this team's going to be the best team in the country night one. I don't think this team's going to be the best team in the country March 31st. I think they're going to be one of a handful of teams that could win a national title. And I will believe that going into the season. I will change my opinion on that depending on what we see. But I, I firmly believe the talent on this roster is of that caliber. Now, does Juwan put the right puzzle pieces in the right spot? We'll see. He did a phenomenal job of that with the transfers he added last season, and that's a huge part of their success. I think he made the same type chess moves this offseason to do something similar, but it's more guys at more questions of where do they play? How do you fit them together? Who is the best five going to be in March? Like Those are big questions that he's going to have to figure out. I do. Your comparison to 2018-2019, I like it. I think it makes sense. Like when you're talking cycles of success with programs, no doubt that happens. The major difference here is that one, Cassius Winston as a backcourt guy is better than whoever Michigan's got. So that's, I don't like, it doesn't X and X comparison. Hunter Dickinson. The return of an All-American to All-American, right. So that that's there. I like that. The second part of this and why I'm going to push back on why I think Michigan State went on the downswing was that Michigan has five recruits in this freshman class that would have been the highest ranked recruit in that freshman class that year for Michigan State. The the reason it went down is because that class was a total miss. Aaron Henry contributed year one. Great. That team was really successful. When Xavier Tillman and Cassius Winston left, what were you left with? And that's what you saw last season. And now could Michigan's freshmen all leave after one year? Maybe. And if the cupboard's that bare, then no doubt they're going to have a major dip down. But if Frankie Collins is back, Kobe Bufkin is back, one of Diabate or Houston is back, and then theoretically Barnes is a guy that could play rotation minutes by a sophomore year, that's already a significantly more talented core than what Michigan State's foundational class was that year, that as long as he adds a couple more ready-to-play night one recruits or transfers – there's a foundation to work with that won't drop from, you know, barely missing a national title to barely making the tournament. They might not be a national contender, but they're still going to be a team to be reckoned with in the Big Ten. That's fair. And yes, you point to the 2018 class. I've talked about that a bunch of time. I mean, it was it was a big miss. It was you took five guys and, you know, we'll have to see kind of how it pans out. But you know, two of them were clear misses and then two were maybes and one was an NBA guy. The the guy that was rated the lowest of them all, basically outside of Kithier, I believe, ended up being your best player. So that was a tough class for them. And I think that what you're seeing with Michigan State and just the way that they have always been a little bit cyclical, you know, only one class since he's he's had that have gone the full four years hasn't made a final four. That's an unbelievable accomplishment. And the degree of the success that he sustained continuously has been extremely impressive. But we also have had downturns, particularly recruiting-wise. And I think we're seeing it right now with the class of 22, which is really on the edge of it. And the difference between the two programs right now, what I see is that Izzo's willingness to be able to full-on accept what is happening in terms of the transfer portal, what's happening in the terms of recruiting, maybe he's not quite going to get there. 
And, you know, it's something that worries me a little bit to a certain degree, because if you're looking at this way that this is shaping up for this class, if you don't hit on a Jaden shoot and you don't hit on one of the bigs, you know, it's, it's becoming less and less likely, in my opinion, that Terrace Reed is really still viable. It seems to me it's between Michigan and OSU. Trout, I've heard, is a UVA lean. So I think that that one's probably going to be a bit of a tough shot there as well. Maybe Ty Rogers gets back into the mix. He recently had a little bit of discussion about the teams that he's looking to take a visit to. And he said Houston, FSU, and Michigan State were the three that he discussed. Um, so we'll see. I've always thought that Rogers was going to go out of state, but maybe they got to press in a little bit. They need to grab two kids. And then if they do that, they need to be really aggressive in the portal. He's got to make a commitment. And what we talked about in the last episode is he wasn't he wasn't aggressive this year when they got two spots open. So right. j- just saying right off the gun, like, oh, he's clearly going to go fill this this need in the transfer portal. I don't think he's going to have a choice because the roster is going to make you do that. But it doesn't exactly make me feel warm and fuzzy inside when Michigan's on this upturn in the cycle. I think Michigan State's team is maybe somewhere in the middle of the cycle where they have a very good foundational cast and they have a very bunch of question marks from this 2018-2019 class. We don't quite know what they are. And so the way that the programs are going, Michigan's up on this upswing. Michigan State's probably somewhere in this middle. Could they turn this season onto a bit of an upswing? Yes. But then you're losing and you're almost regrouping again. And how are you going to kind of reconfigure this roster? So it's a tough spot to be in for a Michigan State fan to see Jawan Howard come in and give so much success from the very get-go. But I'm also not like panicking in any measure. I still think that Izzo has shown the ability to consistently be able to put a roster together. Is it disappointing that he hasn't been as aggressive as we'd like him to be? Yes. But is it time to absolutely hit the panic button? No. Um I want to just transition maybe into some comparing and contrasting of some of the talent coming in. And I want to ask you a couple difficult questions. Uh, The first that is going to be is if you could choose one player of the freshmen coming in for both teams, who are you selecting? And I'm not asking you to do it in terms of roster construction. I'm just saying if you were starting a team with one player from either team, who are you selecting in that? I'll give you an oddball answer that I don't think you expect at all. Musa Diabate. I think he's the most unique of any. I think you, you said this earlier, he could be super raw offensively and he may, but what he projects to be instantly defensively is something that only a handful of guys in the country are capable of doing. He's fluid. He's six eleven with an above seven foot wingspan and he can switch onto guards and not miss a beat. Like that's, that's special. The, the only guy that I remember in years seeing that reminds me anything of what he could be defensively is Jaron Jackson. Now I think Jaron was a lot more polished as a freshman than Musa Diabate is going to be. But I think that that's just something that is hard to find in college basketball. And it's part of why I think Diabate is going to find his way on the floor, whether it's next to Hunter Dickinson or it's every second Hunter Dickinson's out of the game is the Diabate show in the five. Um, but I think if, if I had to pick super tough question, he's the most unique skill there. I think you could build a team around the type of rim protection that he could give you and the defensive foundation he's going to give you. Um, and it also allows me to avoid the Christie versus Houston answer. Which the answer will be Max Christie and you know it. I just want to hear you say it. That's what I was trying to post. No, so I, let me actually answer that. If I had yeah. to pick Christie or Houston, Honestly, 
you have to know what else is on the roster in order to make that question and or to make that answer. And where they are at is perfect for both of them. It's why I'm so high on both of them. Christie's going to be an on-ball guy who you and I both think could be the leading scorer for that team right away, and that's perfect for him. Caleb Houston, you saw if you watched any of the under-19 Canada games, he has skills that could be a primary on-ball guy, but he's not going to be the most efficient guy if he has to do that all game. If he can just show that here and there and be a secondary scorer and an elite floor spacer, it's the perfect role for him. So I think you're going to see these two go one-on-one with each other for Big Ten Freshman of the Year all season long. It's going to be incredibly fun to watch, but I truly can't pick because I think if you flip-flop them, honestly, they would both be worse off, if that makes sense. I don't think Christie would be as good as what Houston will be for Michigan. And I definitely don't think Houston would be as good as Christie will be for Michigan state. Hmm. That's an interesting way to look at it. I definitely think that Christie makes more sense for the roster construction for Michigan state. I I just think that his ability to create shots off the bounce, both from deep and the mid range, I think we saw a little bit of Houston being able to do that. I think that's a, a advantage, Max Christie. Obviously, Houston has probably a, a bigger physical package. He's six eight instead of Christie being like I think just under six six. That's what he measured in at. I think that if you're going to ask me who I think is going to shoot the better three point percentage, I would lean Max Christie. In in my own caveat would be it depends if he's taking all those shots off the dribble or not. From a catch and shoot option, I think both of them are absolutely lights out. Probably two of maybe the five best incoming freshmen to shoot from beyond the arc that we're seeing. We get to see both of them. I think it's super exciting. But I just think Max Christie's ability to put the ball on the deck more fluidly is going to be the difference there. And I think that's where I would lean there, even though Houston is going to be – I think he's going to be dynamite, like you said, for Michigan. I think he's just going to be in a position where – you know, if he's getting a bunch of open catch and shoot looks, he's going to knock them down. Then he's got to have guys respect that three pointer, and he's going to be able to put the ball on the deck, perhaps like you said, better than the livers could do, better than some of the other guys that have had at that position. You know, I think Franz was kind of a little limited in that as well. I think maybe he would have shot a little bit better if teams weren't so you know not concerned with him putting the deck. He had one move to me. He went down to the right. With his hand, and he kind of had that like half hook shot where he'd come from the left side all the way to the right side there. He never really developed the point where he could just pull up off the dribble. I think Houston has a little bit of that. I think Max mm-hmm. Christie has a little bit more. So I think they're both extremely exciting. Like you, I think those are the two freshmen of the year front runners. It'll be interesting to see because it's hard not to have some parallels, even though they're going to play a little different positions. But because they're both wings, I think that there's going to be a lot of talk about kind of who each of them are as a player. So I was trying to bait you into saying that you'd choose Max Christie, but well, I'll, I'll say this. I think, I think Christie will score more points per game than Houston will. I actually disagree with you. I think Houston's three-point percentage will be higher than Christie's just because I think he's going to get more open shots. I think Christie's going to get the best perimeter defender that other teams have on him night in and night out, and he's going to have to create a lot off the dribble. And I think – if they flipped roles, you don't I would... think Houston will see that though. Who are you defending if you're Michigan? And this is the same issue that we've run into last year when we're discussing is this a national championship backcourt? And the answer is maybe if Kobe Buffkin gets up to speed. But unless Kobe's on the floor in that starting lineup with Eli Brooks and Devontae Jones, 
who's who are you guarding there? You're guarding Caleb Houston. That's no, the I, think guard, I think you're guarding Jones because I I also he's think- a point guard. He's six foot. That's not a wing defender. You're not putting your six five six guy six six guy on him. You're putting your on ball defender on him. That's a completely different position that you're guarding. If you're choosing between Eli Brooks and Caleb Houston to guard, I will tell you that by you know about game three, the scouting report is going to be Dickinson Houston. You know, maybe Jones, maybe Dickinson, Jones, Houston, however you want to split that up. Sure. I guess I was just viewing it as perimeter defender, right? Like I think, I think guards will guard Christie and just get up in his shit and make him do tough shots off the dribble. And he'll probably have to take and make a lot of those. And he's capable of it. Like I said, I think Christie's going to lead Michigan state in scoring. And I think Michigan state's going to be a good team this year. Um, but I think I think Houston will not draw that type of attention, quite honestly. I do think Jones will get the primary backcourt defender. I think Houston will play a lot of time at the four this year and a lot of time at the three. Um, but I think just by the nature of they're going to play through Dickinson and they're going to play through other guys in ball screens, he's going to be off ball a ton and he's going to get open looks. And to me, that's why he'll shoot a better defender. Between the three and the four position for you that you think Houston's going to play? What'd you say? What's the, what's the, you said he's going to play a ton of three, a ton of four. I think he's going to play almost primarily the three. Man, it, it, it so depends. Yeah. It so depends. And I know that's a lazy cop out answer, but like it depends on how good Diabate and Bufkin are. If Bufkin is a guy you can't take off the floor, somebody has to slide and it, it's going to be whoever the worst player is. If it's Eli Brooks, Eli Brooks will go to the bench. If it's Brandon Johns just not being in the rotation anymore, Brandon Johns won't be in the rotation anymore. And I know that's going to shock people, but like it is what it is. I've said, I've argued in Michigan fan forums for a while now that like Eli Brooks and returning players are a luxury to have, but experience doesn't make you a national title contender. Age is great. Talent is what wins in college basketball. And I don't think, honestly, that Eli Brooks can play 30 minutes on a team that wins a national title. And I think he played 32 minutes a game last year and the year before that. I don't think this year Eli Brooks needs to play 30 minutes a game. We'll see if he does. But that's sort of the the puzzle piece type move that Juwan's going to have to make. If Kobe Bufkin ends up playing, you know, 25 minutes a game and the majority of them end up being at the two and Eli Brooks plays 20 minutes a game backing up the one and the two, then yeah, Caleb Houston stuck at the three the whole time. If they go to that three guard lineup because they have to, and Diabate is more raw than they think he is, then Houston ends up playing most of his minutes at the four. And I do, I honestly think Houston is the one guy that could play both. Like, I don't think there's a, a better spot for him. I actually think he might be more comfortable at the four in the big 10 than he would be guarding perimeter threes. Um, but I think from day one, he's going to play most of his minutes at the three because Brandon Johns and Diabate are going to play 40 at the four and he's going to have to slide down. But I won't, I would not be surprised if by season's end, he's playing a good split between the three and the four and Bufkin has forced his way into a three guard lineup. Okay. End of the season, who finishes with a better backcourt, Michigan state or Michigan I'm saying one through three positions. So I guess I'm including the wing in the backcourt, even though it's somewhere split, like we would say. It's tough. Uh, I think it's I, I think it's Michigan, and part of what makes it easy for me easier for me to say that is 
the returns that you've heard and that we talked about last episode with Tyson Walker. If if there was no concern about Tyson Walker being ready and it was just off of the write-up and the research I did, I would call it pretty close. If there's any question that A.J. Hogard is the starting point guard for Michigan State, then I like what Michigan has depth-wise with Frankie Collins, with Kobe Bufkin, plus Jones, plus Brooks, plus Houston. I mean, that's that those five guys – I have no question you're going to get 120 really good minutes at the one through three from those five guys. Now, flipping that to Michigan State, and part of why I'm so openly yelling that they need to do something with these scholarships is that, God forbid, if Tyson Walker isn't good enough to be a starting point guard every night in the Big Ten, if, God forbid, not, I'm literally knocking on wood, Max Christie or Gabe Brown suffer an injury, you're done for. And there is no argument which team has the better one through three. Now, if the best case scenario occurs and Tyson Walker is a 30 minutes a game guy or even 25 minutes a game guy, Max Christie's a leading scorer and Gabe Brown takes a jump, then I think that's very close. But there's a lot of things that need to fall the correct way for Michigan State to get there, whereas Michigan has more room for error that I feel safer picking them. I think it's kind of interesting because they have similar parallels. They're taking a transfer point guard. Obviously, the backup for you, I think, has more upside in Frankie Collins. I think that's pretty clear, just the, the, how athletic he is. Well, it remains to be seen what kind of strides A.J. Hogard makes. I guess to a certain degree, they're both similar in the fact that they're not really shooters. Um, but the ability for Collins to play above the rim kind of changes his – you know, when he gets into the paint, there's no doubt that he can finish at or around the rim to me, whereas Hogard kind of struggled with that last season. Walker's going to be a more heavy ball screen guy like we talked about. I think it's going to fit the flow of the offense eventually a little bit better, perhaps, than a Devontae Jones is. You slide over to the two. To me, it's a no-brainer. If Max Christie, you know, is what we think he is, I would take him over Eli Brooks. I know Eli Brooks plays a very specific role, and he's very good in that. You got whatever. The upside for me of Max Christie versus that, I, I, to me, that's not really close. If, if you had a choice right now and I told you you could have Max Christie for Eli Brooks, would you do it? Yes, no question. Yeah. Right. So I think the upside's there, and then you kind of slide down to the three. Houston clearly with a little bit more upside than Gabe Brown, but I think Gabe Brown can be a very steady presence in that too. To me, Gabe Brown and Eli Brooks is probably a little bit of the better comparison um, for their roles that they're having. Eli Brooks is going to do a little bit more facilitating. He's going to do a little bit more ball handling. I think Brown is probably the clear, better like set shooter out of the two of them. I feel more confident. I know he hasn't played as many minutes and he hasn't been given the opportunity, but if you're going to ask me who ends up shooting the better percentage, I'm going to say I would lean towards Brown. I think that he can be a better rebounder than Brooks, even though he hasn't been. So that remains to be seen. And then you kind of slide it down, and the best-case scenario to me, Buffkin and Aikens have very similar parallels where Aikens at least has got a clear role on there between you know the one or the two, however you want to see it, probably primarily at the two in the off-ball spot so that you're able to kind of switch Brown and Christie back from that. He, he, to me, has a little more clear path in minutes, even though I agree with you that Buffkin's going to do it and force his way into minutes. But, you know, Buffkin's in a little bit bigger package. He's 6'5", um, 6'6", maybe, I think. That some, some measurements have said he's pretty close to that. So Aikens is only 6'3", but I think he's going to give you maybe a little bit more defensively. But in terms of 
shot creation ability. I think that we would agree that the guys that I'm most intrigued to see are probably Akins and Bufkin for each team. Akins has an extremely high uh, capability of being able to create off the dribble for himself. I would say maybe Bufkin's a little bit better of a shooter right at the moment, but it's not something that I think that Akins can't get there. So I think that there's actually pretty similar parallels between the backcourt. The difference really just comes down when you're looking at what the front court production is. And obviously Michigan has a much more stable and consistent uh, output that you're going to see. I mean, we spent, you know, quite a bit of time talking about the center rotation for Michigan state and Dickinson just gives you such a nice piece to lean on. Um, and then just the, the available options, you know, I think if you look at kind of what you have between Hauser and Hall, I think that if Brandon Johns had committed to Michigan State, he pretty clearly probably would have been that power forward at that spot for us right now, or the, the tweener, maybe even the center. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that that's, the position is probably a little bit more stable, a little bit more upside in the front court for you guys. Is that kind of how you would see it too, obviously? Yeah, I mean, with Dickinson there, you have to lean Michigan right now. But I, I do actually just one other thing on the backcourt. I think you're right. The two and the three is pretty – even even comparisons and I like the way you broke it down with Brown versus Eli Houston versus Christie Akins versus Bufkin love that I think the separator and why I lean Michigan for backcourt truly is that Devontae Jones I guess floor wise has, has a six foot six wingspan and is on the NBA radar at least physically we know he's going to be something Tyson Walker, I guess we don't, right? The worst case Tyson Walker scenario is a lot lower than the worst case Devontae Jones, while maybe the best case Tyson Walker scenario is a little higher than Devontae Jones. Mm -hmm. But I think like that stability mixed with the freshman talent is why you have to go Michigan there. Um, front court, yeah, it's Michigan because of Dickinson. I do. I want to offer you a trade on behalf of Michigan fans. Don't get too mad at me, Michigan fans. But Brandon Johns for Joey Hauser, straight up. Give or take. Oh man, That's a give us some, question. give Michigan some shooting at the four. Yeah, give you a, a physical presence that could start day one. I like um, it. Yeah. See, to me, the way that they use Malik Hall is almost similar. The problem is, you guys develop Brandon Johns. If we had gotten a chance to develop Brandon Johns, I think he would look a little bit better. I'm just going to say that. I'm going to toss it out there. Wow. Yeah. Arguing that John Beeline's player development is not top notch is interesting. Um, I mean, he didn't play right the first two years, and he hasn't really played. He played, you know, or I guess technically is Jawan Howard right because he's had him two, and Beeline only had him one. So I, I just think that they didn't quite know what to do with Johns, and it's not a knock because, like I said, I think to a certain degree. Maybe Bingham would have been better as a beeline commit. Maybe he would have developed that jump shot and he would have understood how to play him a little bit better in like a pick and pop role. I, I still think that Bingham has the ability to be a pick and pop guy. We're never going to see it at Michigan State, but I think that he could have developed into something like that and beeline maybe would have been the perfect guy. And I think Brandon Johns, in terms of the way that he plays, how physical he is, like Malik Hall and Brandon Johns are basically the same thing. Just he's got him by two inches and he's a little bit more athletic. That, that's the same type of player that they are, though. I also think Malik Hall has more skill. Maybe I'm okay. hating on Brandon Johns. I'm not I'm not very high on Brandon Johns. I think he's a rim running four. I've actually said this privately to friends in text for years, but Brandon Johns is like the brain of a third grader in an NBA player's body. 
Like he just seems to be in the wrong spot and makes weird decisions and like doesn't shoot open threes when he's open, but like the tools are there. The physicalness Mm -hmm. is there. Like it's maybe that is development. I don't know, but I think, I don't think anyone's ever known what position he is. And I don't necessarily put that on any of the staffs. I think Brandon Johns doesn't know what position he is. That's fair. I just think that Michigan State has done so good with the tweener guys. I, I said yeah. that about Ty Rogers, you know, just uh, what type of fit he would be when you're between a three and a four and a four and a five. I think Michigan State has shown the ability to consistently figure out exactly what you are and put you in the best place for success. So, you know, he made the decision. He was in, you know, Lansing backyard there and he made the decision I had heard. I think I told you this at some point that. Izzo called him and he committed to Michigan and Izzo was like, wow, what the heck? (laughs) I don't know. So, and even that, like, man, just talking the mentality of Brandon Johns, like who, who who says that to Tom Izzo on the phone? Like what's going on in between the ears for that kid? I don't know. I I don't know. So I guess, you know, it remains to be seen what his legacy ends up becoming one way or the other. But to me, he's always one of those kids that I just thought, he would have been perfect the way that he's physically built in his his skill set. I guess you know, in your opinion, lack thereof. But um. <laughs> I'm harsh too, man. You know, I yeah. like shooting across the board or like NBA intangibles, which is what Diabate has and why I think he'll overtake him. And what Buffkin has, which is why I think that like ultimately for Michigan to reach its highest ceiling this year, either Brooks or Johns needs to potentially take a back seat. I, I would think maybe at some point, maybe both. Like the best version of the lineup out there to me is either Jones or Brooks at the one. I think it's Buffkin at the two. It's Houston at the three. I guess maybe I would side with you and the Diabate and Dickinson. I just got to see it. I got to figure out exactly what he is because I, I watched maybe four or five games of Diabate. I got to see how that offense works with the two of them together. Because if you have Jones and him, I just think that paint is going to get really constricted in some games against you. That college spacing is so much tighter than it is at the next level. Like I agree with you that the upside is clearly there. If he can even show the ability like from the elbow to take a dribble or two and get all the way to the rim, even that would clear up spacing issues so much more. He I can think, do that too. Like I've, he, seen, it. I've seen yeah. it, but I also think that he – I think strength-wise, he needs to get to a better spot. Because I watched a game with him when uh, Sunrise Christian played them, and there was probably like five or six balls when he had the rebound rebound clearly and he was bringing it down and getting it ripped out of his hands. To me, it was just like this guy needs to be in a strength and training program like immediately. He's got to add like 20, 25 pounds of muscle on his body. And if he just – if he – if you're just asking him to go in there and rebound on both sides and and finish everything around the glass, I think that that's a very, very good role for him, and he's going to elevate kind of what else is around him. But physically, he needs to get into that spot to be able to do it. I think if, if his game is going to be like, oh, I'm going to catch it 10 or 12 feet around and try to get to the basket, I, I don't know if you consistently want him to do that. At, maybe at some point in the season he's comfortable doing it, but I, th- I think generally what you want him to do is just really be hitting the glass hard, almost like a Brandon Dawson type. And I know that's not a good comparison physically or anything, but what you're asking for him to do, I want you to cut. I want you to backdoor. I want you to clean up the glass on both sides. You know, you're capable of defending multiple positions. I want you to use your length to bother guys, to block shots, to get your hands on balls. If you're just asking for a very specific role from him, I think he can be very, very good. I just, I'm curious to see how many minutes a game that, equates to and exactly what he can give you offensively 
Yeah, I think it's it's going to be one of the more exciting tests for Juwan Howard to see how they use him early and how he develops over the course of the season because he has a nice-looking jump shot. I have tried for months now to find any sort of legitimate numbers on his shooting, and I found nothing. That's probably not a good sign. But his jumper looks nice. He's fluid. He can beat his man off the dribble. I still come back, if we're going to make a comparison, like just off the fluidity at his size, it reminds me of Jaron Jackson and the the fit. Jaron played next to Nick Ward for many stretches of that season, who was a true post, a lefty post like Hunter Dickinson is. It will be fascinating to see because if the Amante spacing issues with that team that they ran into about midway in the season. And there were, but that team was still like I mean, looking back on the last decade, to me, that's the best Michigan State team. And March is a fickle monster, DK, as we know. Yeah, talent-wise, I don't necessarily disagree. You got two lottery picks, and you got a really strong center. And that just that reminded me, actually, I was listening to the Moving Screen pod, and they were just kind of discussing Dickinson. They actually made the Nick Ward comparison, which was interesting. And they said, basically um, – you know, this idea that all of a sudden Dickinson's going to develop an offhand when he's 21 years old and he's never done it. Like Nick Ward never did. And that, I thought that was an interesting comparison. So I, Dickinson's season is going to be absolutely fascinating to me because he wants to get on NBA boards. He needs to expand some of his game, but what does that look like? And is that actually good for the team? I'm not 100% sure about that. I think he's going to still be a monster in the middle for the most part. But if he's, again, going to be taking 10 to 12-foot jump shots and stepping out and taking a three here and there, like, do you really think that that's the long-term best thing for him in college? It's best for him for his eventual career, but is it best for him in college? And I think Jones has maybe some of the same questions where if you're trying to get to that next level, is he going to be primarily focused on scoring or is it going to be a situation where it's like, you know, you need to set the team up, you need to show that you're capable of being a point guard, and maybe you get a little bit of a harder look at the next level? I don't know. I just think both those guys are in a little bit of those you know, fringe NBA. Is it going to be about the team, or is it going to be about my own personal development to spring myself there? And I know that's not always brought up, but that is something that has to be somewhat into the consideration heading into this year. Yeah, I mean, ego management will be a thing with this staff and with this team because you've got probably seven guys on the roster who view themselves as undoubtable pros at some point. And when you've got guys like that, they all want to play and they all want to be the guy. And ultimately, Hunter Dickinson is the guy. And if, you know, early on he's taking three threes a game and doing a bunch from the perimeter and it's not working, I would think they course correct that rather quickly. Um, and ultimately Hunter Dickinson is going to be at his best when he sits his ass on the block and he is a physical force that even though, you know, he needs to go left, you can't stop him from going left. Does losing 20 pounds of baby fat prevent him from being able to do that anymore? We'll see. But I think, you know, even if Hunter never improves his jumper or his right hand, he's still one of the best centers in the country. He's still going to be super productive. He just might not take the leap to one of the actual five best players in the country. And that might be what Michigan needs him to do in order to take that next step from a final four contender to actually getting there. Okay. So we're kind of at the end hour and a half is kind of our sweet spot here. So we're going to wrap up, but I'm going to ask you one question. Does Michigan repeat as big 10 champions next year? No, regular season they don't. Um, and it's Are you because, give the nod to Purdue. 
It's because of Purdue, and I'm not as high on Purdue as everyone else is. I am a Jaden Ivy skeptic. Give me guards that make shots, not miss them. I know he looks great in the under-19 stuff, Team USA. People are making Victor Oladipo comparisons right now, which seems nuts to me. He's going to be really good in the Big Ten, and Purdue brings everyone back, plus a really nice class, plus a schedule that is so much easier than every other contender's schedule. And I don't like playing the bitch about the schedule game. I don't do it. But this honestly is a schedule that swings it like a game and a half for Purdue. And I don't think the talent is much different. I think Purdue and Michigan both have top five to 10 best rosters in the country. Um, I don't think Purdue is going to make a final four. I'll tell you that. But I think they win the regular season Big Ten crown. That's probably fair. I mean, he hasn't done it yet. So this, this, I don't know. Is this one of his more talented teams? I'd have to really go back and think about that. I think that he's probably had a little bit more talented teams than this one. Um, you know, you got a senior in Trevion Williams kind of anchoring the middle. Jay Nivey's an up-and-comer. I like some of the young depth that they have. Eric Hunter's a nice piece. They kind of just they kind of just Purdue you, right? They're just he's just consistent. He runs good stuff. They play good defense. I think you know what you're going to get year in, year out. And what you need to win Big Ten titles is consistency. And I think that they're going to provide that. So I lean too towards probably Purdue. Last question for you before we get out of here. Do you think that Michigan State finishes – I'm going to put the number at four. Do they finish top four in the conference next year? Do they finish outside it? I'm trying to go through teams in my head right now. Yeah. I, I'll i give them four. I'll give them four because I'm selling Maryland hard. I'm selling Illinois unless they add um, – if Kevin Kofi O'Banner. comes back, it changes a little bit for me. I, like if Kofi came back and Kevin O'Banner went to Illinois, he's in their top 10 right now or his final 10, then I would slot them. Thanks for releasing that. So every school that's reached out to you, you said, I'm still considering all 10 schools. Thanks. Right. No, I think I, I think Michigan and Purdue are in a tier of their own in the conference right now. Agreed. And I think I'd put Ohio State third, even with the loss of Dwayne Washington. Um, you know, they added that Cedric Russell guy who looks like he was shooting lights out from down there. I, the on-ball creation for me is just – it's not there. I think that if you look at what Michigan State potentially has with Walker, hopefully, and Christie as well as Aikens, I just think there's a lot more perimeter shot creation. I, I'm super skeptical of that backcourt. They uh, added what – Jeremy Wheeler. Is that his first name? I know it's Wheeler. Jamari Wheeler. Jamari, that's right. Jamari Wheeler. You know, that's kind of a replacement for C.J. Walker. To me, that's like a slight downgrade offensively, maybe a slight upgrade defensively. So, you know, that doesn't really move the needle for me. Justin Suing was fine last year. He lose Dwayne Washington. Obviously, Liddell. I think Zed Key is going to be pretty good this year. He reminds me of kind of like a baby Nick Ward a little bit. He's got to lose a little bit of the, the gut, and I think that he's going to be kind of a force down there. He's just got a big lower half, and if he can run the floor a little bit better, I think he's going to be a monster. I think that Holtman's been a little overrated in the conference. Can I say that? He's kind of like outside of the first year where they had a nice run and they won. What's his first year? They got a piece of the Big Ten title maybe. He had Jay Sean Tate and Kate's beta Diop, right? And I think that maybe he got a piece of the title his first year. Or it was yeah. close. He did. When they had KBD, he did, and he kind of made his name off of that. And then yeah. 
last year's team. Obviously, the loss in March stings. But no, I think like I'll say this. I think the conference is going to take a step back this year as a whole. And I know there's a lot of people saying like, oh, there's five teams in the top 25 preseason. There's a bunch of teams in the top 10. I think Michigan and Purdue are the only teams that are going to be national contenders from day one to day 200. I think Michigan State, you should never sell Tom Izzo in a conference where the talent takes a step back. I think Holtman and Izzo provide such a high floor for those programs that even if they do have some question marks, they're still going to be two of the better teams. I would slide them in at three and four. Um, Maryland, who knows, a fringe top 25 team, but losing Aaron Wiggins has to sting for them. And I don't really like the rosters of anybody else. It wouldn't shock me if every other team on this list missed the tournament, to be honest with you. I, I think they get seven in. That's my guess next year. Uh, I think that you left out Indiana. There, to me, are pretty intriguing because Trace Jackson Davis is going to get an NBA tutor to be able to kind of refine some of his game. You know, you said that Dickinson is as good as any big in the conference, maybe the best. I, I would probably interject and say that Trace Jackson Davis is, owns that distinction heading into next season. Production-wise, he clearly has been better than obviously Dickinson was last year. I think that this year, production-wise, he's probably going to be. They're going to have to feed him a ton. I don't particularly am crazy, again, about the perimeter players. I think Xavier Johnson, the ad from Pittsburgh, uh, is a nice one. He's kind of a big combo guard, a guy that can get downhill. The question for them really is, again, going to be where does the shooting come from? Um, and and I don't know if Tamar Bates you know, is going to be a guy that can step in and provide some of that, a five-star shooting guard from IMG that they got late in the cycle. Um, are they going to get that from some of the, you know, the white guys that didn't really play last year? Is Christian Lander going to be a guy that actually is capable of you know, providing consistency for them? I think that they have some question marks in the guards, but in terms of what the front court is, you know, Race Thompson's a really nice piece. I, I'm not crazy again about putting two guys that can't really step out and shoot. It's kind of the same conundrum that maybe Michigan's going to run into in spots. Obviously, Diabate has way more upside than a Race Thompson does, but he's kind of that guy that can finish near the rim. To me, I think that I would lean Indiana maybe in that top uh, five as well. And I don't know where I would have it. I have to really take a, a harder look at that. But would it surprise me if maybe they snuck in there? I just think when you have as good a center as Trace Jackson Davis, your floor is pretty safe in a lot of comparisons to teams like Iowa who have lost it. You know, if Illinois gets Coburn back, I think that that increases their floor again too. But there's a lot of teams that lost a lot of pieces heading into next season. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. I agree with you generally. I think the conference is going to be down a little bit, but the top end of the talent, the potential you know, national title runs, still going to be there for a couple teams. And Michigan State's one of those ones where if the talent all clicked together, maybe they could boost themselves into maybe some of that conversation. Let me make an Indiana comparison to Jawan Howard's first year at Michigan, where you had Xavier Simpson and John Teske back to provide a foundation um, which I think TJD and to an extent, some of the guards and race Thompson and Lander that you mentioned provide, I think it's going to take a year for them to really do anything substantial. I think you're right. They they'll make the tournament. Um, for some reason though, to me, like this program has had talent for years and has never really done anything with that. Whether you blame Archie Miller for that or Tom Crean for that, or whoever is cursing this program. I don't know what the cause was, but it's just hard for me to see TJD snap his fingers with a new coach and all of a sudden be like a national contending team when he hasn't been for two years. 
So we'll see. I like their parts. I'd probably slot them in fifth, maybe put them in Maryland in a tier after Michigan State and Ohio State. Um, but I, I'm still selling them as anything substantial. I think that's fair. That's fair. And we'll do a deep dive in the conference as it gets a little closer, maybe do a little bit more investigation. But, yeah, for everybody who stuck through our 42-ish here, um, a little different look for you. Give me the Michigan look. Greg is, I mean, Greg is as excited as I've ever seen him be. Oh, you stop it. <laughs> no, this was fun. You know, I, I've done as much watching in Michigan basketball as I have Michigan State. I don't take any pleasure out of the winning but I do like to keep a close eye on uh, the enemy down the road. And, you know, I, I, I try to be as respectful as I can of the program while not liking them. I certainly will give my due to what Juwan did last year. I think that, again, they're going to be in a position to make a splash this year. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this season shakes out because uh, the team is going to look very, very different next year, potentially, you know, huge roster overhaul. And really, he's going to be starting from square one again. So I think it's, it's extremely important for the program to make another deep run in the tournament, to make a run at the Big Ten title this year. Because if you run into, you know, the down part or maybe you follow yourself in the middle of that cycle, um, you just never know. You never know how many years he's going to give you and you never know how many bites of the apple you have. I mean, Michigan State's running into that situation now where, Tom Izzo is coming up on it. And how many more times are we going to get a chance to make a final four to make a deep run with him at the helm? And we just don't know. So anytime that you have yourself to put yourself in a position to make a final four, to win a big 10 title, you got to seize that moment. And I think that there is going to be a little difference for this Michigan team where Michigan state's going to come a little under the radar. I think that they're going to be able to, uh, hunt teams instead of being hunted, which they have primarily been. And Michigan's in a completely different role this year. They will be be hunted in the conference after last year's season. It's a change of difference. And, and I, it's however small or large it ends up being, being in that position and mentally being in that space where we are the best team, we're going to assume that role and then have to continually defend it. You're going to get the best shots on every guys that you go to when you enter their gym, every time that you're at home. It just changes it a lot. And this is the first time he's going to experience that. So I'm very curious to kind of see how it works out this season for them. Yeah, no doubt. It will be interesting. I think you're spot on with that evaluation. My last Michigan question for you, then we can wrap this. Over, over under 0.5 banners raised for this Michigan team next season. Next season, or you're saying in his tenure. Next season, so yeah, I'm talking conference title, regular season, oh, and oh, tournament oh. title, and or final four. Um, man, I probably would lean like you. I think that they get it together by the end of the season, and I don't know if they win the Big Ten title, but I think that they could win the Big Ten tourney. Impossible to say if this team's capable of making a final. There's way too many questions that I would have to be able to to answer that question. So I I can't say. Oh, don't duck it. You got oh, you got to pick a side. You just you got to pick a I side. I, just, I said they're going to win the Big Ten tourney. That's that's my okay. guess. Of the three of them, that's the one I think that they're most likely to win. I think by the time the year wraps up, they're going to have enough pieces where maybe they couldn't put it all together during the season to win the Big Ten regular season, but they have the capability of winning the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, I mean, three shots at it, right? I think I think one of the three will hit. I don't think all three will hit, but 
I think over would be the safe bet as well. From my I'll give them the Big Ten tourney if they don't win the regular. I'm going to say you, you pick the one that'll the least. The least, care least. About the least. <laughs> and the committee cares about the least. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, my friend. Thank you again for everybody who stuck with it. David Klein, host, and Greg Waddell. You can find him at GWizzy12. Sleepers Media also does a podcast. Definitely check that out. Uh, thanks so much, Greg. Always appreciate the time. Yeah, and Kenny Goins is coming on the Sleepers podcast this week. We'll be dropping that, so stay tuned, Spartan fans. I think you guys will love it. Super pumped to talk to him. Awesome, man. We'll definitely pump that out for you when you get it out. So take care, everybody. Talk to you soon. Peace.